You know, we, we all have a desire, and we would hope we all have a desire to be loyal to God. We, we have a desire in our hearts to be loyal to God, but the problem is we give in sometimes. We do. We, we, we all want to be loyal to God, but the problem is we give in sometimes. Sometimes we just, we just give in. Small, medium, large, extra large. We, we give in sometimes. We give in to things like maybe gossip. Because, you know, you, in the moment, you just couldn't help yourself. I've never been there. I know you have. Um, but I want to help you with that. Okay? Uh, yeah. So... We give in sometimes. We give in sometimes to comparing our lives with other people. We don't want to, but we do. And we see the things that they have and we wonder what, what are we doing wrong or, or what are we not, why, why, I wish I had that or I wish I, I should have that or I, I need that. And so we get, then we get maybe a little jealous and, and, and then at times resentment kicks in. We, we all want to be loyal to God, but the truth is we give in sometimes. And we, we have this, what I call fill in the blank theology that, you know, it's, it's like, if I could just, you know, if I could just have blank, it would all be better. Have you ever felt like that? I remember being, when Michelle and I were just married, and I remember literally having the thought, if I could just make $30,000 a year, all of our issues would be solved. You know, you, you ever had those kind of thoughts? I have. No, we, 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 we fall into this give and take, this response, this going back and forth of, of if our, we, these things that we want and, and we want to be loyal to God, but we also have these other little things over here. And sometimes they're not just little, sometimes they're really big. But, but what I could say to you, what if, what if I could tell you this morning, what if I could tell you this morning there's a better way? We live in a world that is in constant, I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a constant battle for our loyalty. There's a constant battle for our minds and our appetites. We live in a world that's a, a constant battle for that. And so today I want you to turn with me. We're gonna talk about how did Jesus deal with temptation. We're in this series on, on Jesus, kind of what we call Jesus on the street, right? Jesus on the street. This is real life stuff. We're, we've dealt with all kinds of real life issues. And today we're going to deal with how did Jesus deal with temptation? Because he did deal with it. Let's go to Luke chapter four. Last week, Ronnie Floyd, when he said, let's all turn to Luke chapter four. And I almost said, stop, no, wait, you can't do that. We didn't talk about this. But we're not going to deal with it in the same way Ronnie dealt with it. And if you missed that sermon, boy, I would encourage you to go back and on the iOS podcast or on the web and hear that. Boy, it was phenomenal. So this is Luke chapter 4. Jesus is about to begin his ministry, and he's going, he's going into a time of fasting. And Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says this, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then he led him up to, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. This is round, round two 
part two. He laid him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I can't imagine what that would look like. And the devil said to him, I'll give you all of this domain in all of its glory for it's been handed over to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it it shall be yours. And Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. There's a lot of old uh, Jewish thought going on right there in that statement where they thought the Messiah would come stand on top of the temple. And the devil said to Jesus, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered the devil and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him alone until an opportune time. Have you ever thought about why evil, evil finds you? You ever thought about that? Like, why, why does evil find its way to you? You don't have to go looking for it. It's all around. Have you ever honestly thought about why it finds you? I'll tell you why it finds you. Because you bear the name and you bear the image of an eternal savior. That's why. You bear the image of God. We were made in the image of God. And for those of us that John chapter one says that we've been born again, If you've been born again, then you bear a whole new name. Like when you were born, like look at this. So when you were born, right? When you were born, you got a family name. You didn't get to choose it. You didn't get to choose your family. You didn't get to choose where you were born. You didn't get to choose anything about. We all were in those type of moments. But the Bible says when you were reborn, then you took on a different image. And that's why you're hated. Just a couple of weeks ago, we bat- this is just one picture, we baptized, baptized Patrick. You know, in, in that moment, what does that moment look like? That moment is that, that you're telling the whole world, I'm dead in my sins and I've come to walk with Christ. You're telling the whole world that. See, when, when that happens to you, not just the act of baptism, but when the transformation on the inside happens to you, you take on a new family name. You take on a new image, and that's why evil finds you, because you're hated. You're, you're, you're hated. We live in a world of hostile spiritual forces. And you know, you don't have to believe that. You don't have to think much about that. But friend, it doesn't change the reality of that. We live in a hostile spiritual world. And Jesus, and you're seeing right here in the life of Christ, for all of, the, all of you over in the worship center this morning, you live in a hostile spiritual world. And you know, a lot of people don't really want to talk about that. In fact, I would say to you, just listen to the way we talk about church these days. And you don't maybe hear it one third as much as I do as a a guy in the ministry. But it's interesting the way we describe church experiences now, like, you know, you need a, you need a faith community, which is true. You, you do nothing wrong with that. You, you need a faith community. You, where are you on your spiritual journey? And, and we, we try to package these statements in ways that people can understand them. And I'm all, I'm all for that. But I want to tell you something, friends, I don't care how you wrap up the package. 
Once you take the package off, there's a lion inside there and he's trying to eat people. The reality is that we live, we can package it and we can, we can, we can try to make church a safe place. I hate that phrase, by the way. Everything's now about a safe place. I get it. But we're raising a whole generation of softies. Well, that's just a whole nother sermon. But it's, it's not safe. Life isn't safe. Life isn't safe. We, we panic. When's the last time you heard a mission team be sent out from any church saying, God, if it's your will to beat them up in the name of Jesus so your name gets bigger, have at it. But we don't, we would never pray. I'd lose my job if I prayed that over you. We don't live in a safe place. It's a spiritually hostile world. And you can bury your head in the sand with that or you can learn how to win. You can learn how to win. And today we're gonna to talk about how to win. One of the things you notice about the life of Christ right here is that, I don't know if you picked up on it, but Jesus, the, his, his plan of temptation was customized for him. You see, the same things that tempt you may not tempt me at all. And the things that tempt me may not tempt you. But Jesus had a customized plan. In fact, there was, in fact, in all three of these temptations right here, there, there was a common thread, okay? There was a common thread, and I don't want you to miss it. Temptation isn't just about getting you to sin. Temptation is about what I would call sabotage. In fact, I would, I would even call it this way. This, I wrote it down this way so you could maybe put it in your notes. Temptation is an attempt to separate through sabotage. Temptation is an attempt to separate through sabotage. It's not just that, God, that, that, that the devil is trying to get you to, you know, hurt God's feelings. No, what the devil's out to do is separate you from the Father. And that's exactly what he was doing in the life of Christ. He was out to separate him. He was out to get him a little off the track. So, and it was a customized plan. Did you notice he played on the whole Messiah thing? He didn't tempt him with money. He didn't tempt him with anything that was like, you know, just something simple. He tempted in some very real design spec, design build ways to hit Jesus in a moment of weakness when Jesus was tired. So let's talk about how Satan came after Jesus. How, how did he actually do it? Temptation, it is an attempt to separate from the Father and through sabotage of the relationship. Did you notice that Satan came after Jesus' immediate need? Did you notice that part? Jesus was hungry. You ever been hungry? I have a few times, not many. I, I eat out of routine. But there have been times I've been hungry. I've gone on some fasts. Uh, the typical Hebrew fast is about, a, the typical Jewish fast is a day, one day. I've done many one-day fasts. I've done quite a few three-day fasts. I've done a few seven-day fasts. But I can tell you, I've never done a 40, but I can tell you when, when you do, man, listen, your mind starts messing with you. I'm not kidding. The first time I ever went on a seven-day fast, one of, one of my closest friends in the world, he's a pastor, uh, he was a missionary in Belize, his name's Don Pearson, and, and I called Don, I said, hey, I'm going to go on a seven-day fast, and this is, he never even blinked, said, call me on day three. I said, okay. He said, no, seriously, call me on day three. 
because that's the day you're going to lose your mind. Whatever, Don. I called Don on day three. It was awful. I remember sitting on the steps in my garage going, my, my body was talking to me. It was going through withdrawals. Now you've magnified that by 40 days. Jesus has been without food. He went right after his immediate need. See, what he was doing was he was attempting to, temptation is what? It's, a, it's an attempt to separate through sabotage, right? Separate the relationship through sabotage. So what he was doing right here was it was a quick fix. Hey, just eat. Just eat, man. Just eat. It's really okay. Just eat. It was a quick fix. And that's what the devil was trying to do. He was trying to short circuit the pathway. Did you hear me? You see, most of the time when you take the bait, what the enemy's doing to you is he's trying to get you to short circuit the path. He's trying to get you to take matters into your own hands. You ever taken matters into your own hands? I have. You ever taken the easy way that ended up being the really hard way after you took the easy way? I have. He was trying to get Jesus immediate need because he was desperate. He was hungry. Let me tell you something, friends. When you're desperate or when you think you're desperate, well, you'll, you'll do just about anything, won't you? When you think you're desperate. See, some of you are desperate for love. But some of you are desperate for intimacy. So what you'll do is you'll take the bait I tell that all the time to young adults that come to me over the last 20-something years of my ministry. They become sexually active. And I tell them, see, you thought this was going to bring you intimacy and what it brought you was pain. What it brought you was embarrassment. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that you, you believed the lie. You, you thought it would do one thing, but it didn't. It did actually just the opposite, didn't it? Yeah, it did. You see, we'll take the bait. Some of you, even today, you're depressed. Nobody really knows it. You know it. Your spouse might know it. Or maybe one of your closest friends. You're depressed. Life gets a little bleak. And nobody knows that you take a pill or five or eight. Because what you're doing is you just want to go to bed. You just want to go to bed. You just, you just want to numb it. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that you're trying to numb the pain. Some of you are addicted to control. Because you're afraid of not being in control. Don't raise your hand. How many of you would say that about yourself? That you fear being out of control. So what do you do? You control everything you can. And every time something rattles over here to the side, you need to control it. Because you can't imagine not being in control. And so you learn not to trust God. You learn to trust yourself with what you can't control. You see, all of us have these places in our lives that there's this temptation 
to separate from the Father just a little and, and go our own way or take matters into our own hands. And it all looks different for every one of us, but the problem is that every time we take the bait, we take just a little more and 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 a little bit more and then a little more. And then you wake up one day going, how did I get here? How did I get here? You got here through a simple turn in a direction. And that's what Satan's after. He's what he's after. He's after separation through sabotage. And so he, he goes after our immediate needs because that's the place that screams the loudest, isn't it? It's always the place that screams the loudest. If I could just mm, blank, then it would all be better. And so I don't want to wait. And so he says to Jesus, hey, just eat. It'll all get better if you eat. It'll all get better, but it won't get better. It won't get better. So he came after Jesus' immediate need, but I would, I would also say that, that notice that, that he came after Jesus' sense of core identity. He came after Jesus' core identity. Say, so what do you mean by that? Well, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed this in the, in the passage, but look at, look at what he says in uh, verse 3. The devil, the first time he tempted him with bread, he said, if, hey, if you are, Son of God. Do you notice how that's custom designed? See, notice he didn't say that to he didn't say that to you. Hey, Jason, you know, if you are the Messiah. No, he doesn't say that to me because I'm not. Did you notice how specific and personal the temptation is? It's designed just for Jesus. He was the Messiah, but Jesus was also very weak and he was also very tired and he was also in a weak spot in a vulnerable place. And he's like, hey, you know, I mean, really, it's no big deal. He plays playing with his mind. He's playing with his mind. So, so how did Jesus deal with temptation? How did he deal with it? That's the real question. How, how did Jesus actually get into this thing and, and deal with it? And what can we learn from it? Because temptation, it is an attempt to separate through sabotage. So what did Jesus do to stay close to the heart of God? Well, this is gonna sound incredibly simple, but it's right in front of you and I don't want you to miss it. Jesus knew the word of God. And let me tell you why that matters, friend. Do you notice that the first thing that Jesus did was he used truth to combat a lie? Did you notice that? He used truth to combat a lie. He fought lies with truth. Let me tell you, it's an old axiom. It didn't, it didn't originate with me, but I'm going to say it. A, a good example of this right here is never take a knife to a gunfight. Right? Never take a knife to a gunfight. Right? It's not some, uh, uh, Colonel Jeff Cooper, who invented the Cooper color code uh, of uh, situational awareness one time, he said, uh, if you find yourself in a fair fight, your tactics are awful. I like that. You don't have to fight fair. No, Jesus didn't fight back fair. He fought back with what he knew he could rely on. See, the truth of God and the word of God was a filter. And this is why, this, let me tell you, this is mission critical, Christian. It's mission critical because I want to tell you something. And I, I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to preach for a moment, but I'm not going to yell. All right? The reality is we live in a biblically illiterate world. That's not a character indictment. 
It doesn't make anybody bad people. We live in a biblically illiterate culture under the steeple, not just outside of it. I expect people outside the shadow of a steeple to be biblically illiterate. Well, of course. I think sometimes as the Christian community, you know, we're freaked out by how they act. Well, people that don't know Jesus are going to live and act like people that don't know Jesus. It's no shocker. But for those of us that do know Jesus, let me tell you what we've got. We've got the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit, but it doesn't work unless you pick it up. It doesn't work unless you pick it up. And let me tell you why this matters. It matters a lot because Satan tends not to come at you when you're standing strong on your own two feet at, you know, 1202 on a Sunday morning. He tends to come at you in a sales meeting when your commissions are down and you really do need the money. And maybe you should just fudge a little on the percentages. Nobody's really going to know you control the books. On the expense account, maybe you could just, I don't know, add a zero. Get a little extra money back. He comes at us in really subtle ways because if we just had a little more money, then I could fund college better. You see where this goes, right? You see where this goes. It's not these huge roaring lion tactics that he uses. It's the sneaky, subtle stuff when you're starving. And he says, just eat some bread, man. Just eat some bread. It'll be okay. And it won't be okay. You have to know the word of God. And I'm telling you, friends, I'm telling you, the reason that so many Christians face anxiety. Now, I'm not talking about clinical issues. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about anxiety. There's so many the, the reasons that people face identity crisis, so many reasons that we face marriage issues, so many times that we bump into things in the world and we struggle and we, we're angry here and we're upset there and we're resentful over here and we're harboring bitters for something from back there for 10 years ago. It's all because the word of God is barely even read in our lives. But I'm telling you, friend, if you would believe it and not just believe it, but if you would internalize it, it would literally frame up the very way you approach sales meetings and parentings and marriage and your middle schooler who's going off the rails on you. It would frame up the response that you have to your mom. It would frame up the response that you have to your boss. It would frame up these weird idiosyncrasies that every one of us, including me, have if we would know the word of God. I'm telling you, Jesus knew the word of God and it remedied the situation, did you notice? He knew the truth. And because he knew the truth of God, guess what he knew? We're gonna build on it. Because he knew the word of God, he also knew his identity. He knew his identity. When Satan was trying to separate him from the father through sabotage, that's what temptation is. Temptation is an attempt to separate through sabotage. If he could just sabotage the relationship a little bit, then, 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 then he could separate Jesus from the loyalty that Jesus had with God. But Jesus, so when he comes after Jesus' identity, when he comes after me, he says, hey, you know, if, if, you're, if you're really who they say you are, if you're really who you say you are, Prove it. Prove it. 
And Jesus said, I don't have to prove it. I don't have to prove it. Not to you. I don't have to prove it to you. Do you see how big that really is? Because he really knew who his God was. Jesus did not need all those kingdoms of the world to make his life better. He didn't need to eat to make his life better. He didn't need anything to make his life better because he knew the Father. And so the relationship couldn't be sabotaged because he knew who he really was in, 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 in his relationship with the Lord. I, I call it a Psalm 23 mentality. It's something I've been chewing on for the last four or five months, almost every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. God's just kind of put this in front of me just for my own personal walk with him. It's the first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's what that, I shall not want, that, that's, what that, that's the most literal translation right there. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. See, understand friends, when you don't need to fill in the blank, you're pretty much bulletproof, aren't you? When, you? when you're not in need, you're kind of bulletproof. When you don't measure your self-worth by your job title, well, you're kind of bulletproof. When you don't measure love by how many people follow you on social, you're kind of bulletproof. When you don't measure your worth and your intelligence through your education, well, you're kind of bulletproof. When you don't measure your competence by your compensation, well, you're kind of bulletproof. And that's where we gotta get. We gotta get to these places where the Lord is my shepherd. I really don't, if I don't have it, I, don't, I must not need it. Life would look different, wouldn't it? If I don't have it, I must not need it. But no, you see, when, when we don't know our identity and when we, when we don't put that verse right there, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't lack anything. Well, because if you do feel like you lack something, then you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna chase the lie. You're gonna chase the lie. Because listen to me, Christian friend, that's where all sin starts. In order to sin against God, you have to believe a lie first. In order to sin against God, you have to believe a lie first. You have to believe a lie. What did Adam and Eve do? Oh, you, you can take the apple. I mean, surely he's not gonna care. He's not gonna care, come on. You have to believe a lie. In order to steal, in order to embezzle from the company, you, have to, you can't believe Psalm 23. You don't believe it. You can't believe it. You can't believe it. You can't believe that the Lord is my shepherd and I don't need anything. You can't believe that and yet steal. You can't. So I've been talking to myself and walking in that verse a lot that I don't need anything. See, Jesus, because he knew the word of God, he, this was all coming from Deuteronomy. He, was, he, all, he knew the word of God and he knew his identity. Guess what? He could spot the lie. Don't you love that? He could spot the lie. He could spot the lie. A absolutely, he could spot the lie. So the question really then to me becomes, why, why then does God want me to experience victory over temptation? Why? Why does God want me to experience victory? Does God want you to experience victory 
Does, does God want you to experience victory over temptation just because you'll be a more, you know, better person, a more moral person? No. No, not, not, not at all. No, God wants you to experience victory over temptation because he doesn't want the relationship sabotaged. And he doesn't want the relationship separated because temptation is an attempt to separate through sabotage. So God wants you to find victory over this because you and him, your relationship, it means more than anything you got. It means more than anything you have. And that's why he doesn't want it separated. And if you're a believer in within the sound of my voice, maybe over there in the worship center here in the chapel or listening in the world of podcasts, live streams, I want to say something to you. If you're a believer in Christ, if you walk in with Jesus, if you know Jesus, let me tell you what's really going on here when you face temptation. There's a way bigger backstory to this thing than maybe you see in the moment. Because in the heat of the moment of any kind of temptation, you, you just take the bait, just take the bait, just, take the, just, just hit the button, hit the button, do the thing, do the thing, whatever that thing is, just do it. Don't, don't overthink it, don't overthink it. Just, just fix it, fix it now, soothe it, right? What's really going on there for the believer, for the believer? We see the Bible says that people that die without Jesus Christ go to hell when they die. And that's a tragedy. People that die without Jesus Christ go to hell when they die. And I wish it weren't true, but it is. And because it's true, if believers can have their relationship with God separated through sabotage, then you are derailed. You're on the injured reserve. Your life goes in the ditch. And guess what goes with it? Your calling and your purpose and your walk. Can you recover? Sure you can. But there's a lot of damage in between that. So you see, friend, at, at, here, here at Clearview, we, we say it all the time. No more purposeless people. We believe that God made every one of you, specifically every one of you, God made you for a purpose and a reason specific to your life. We believe that. We believe the scriptures testify to that. So if you can take the bait, if you can take the bait, then you'll separate, right? If you can take the bait, you'll separate. And if you separate and you sabotage, then your whole calling gets derailed. And guess what happens? This world has one less truth teller. This world has one less truth teller. Temptation is an attempt to separate through sabotage. Don't take the bait. Now I want to show something to you this morning. We have a new device out here called answers at clearview.org. It's an email address. You, you may be struggling somewhere. For some of you, 
you're getting beat up pretty bad with anxiety. You're getting beat up pretty bad with fear. You're getting beat up pretty bad with substances. You're getting beat up pretty bad with a relationship that doesn't honor God at all. You're getting beat up financially. Listen, if you need help, only one of our pastors sees that. I don't see it. Answers at clearview.org. That person will not tell on you. Listen, for some of you, the next right step, the ne- you may not know step seven, but the next right step for you is to email that and say, hey, here's my phone number. Will you call me? And one of our pastors will. And I'm going to tell you what, you'll get on the path to freedom. You'll get on the path to freedom. For some of you in here today, the most freeing thing you could do is reach out for help. And don't spend another day of your life in defeat. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.